through the years and listening to a lot of preachers, I realized that in order for God to really use somebody, I really believe they have to hit rock bottom first. I believe there has to be a time and a period where you said, I cannot go further unless God gives me strength. I think that there's a lot of people that have felt that way through the COVID crisis and all the things that are going on. And sometimes we see that the culture we live in really doesn't have any answers. They think that the the best thing it can do is just throw money at you and you'll be all fine and everything will be okay. But money will never satisfy you. Position will never satisfy you. The possessions and the pleasures of this world will never satisfy you. But Jesus will. And I really believe that what's needed today um, is a, a message on how to be strengthened. What I like about the Psalms is they become transparent at times. And when I'm reading them, I say, I can relate, re- relate with this person. I understand what it's like to have the rug dropped or taken out from under you. Um, I think it's important for us to know that when those times happen, we can follow the scriptures and we can see hope. And many times when you're reading the Psalms, you start with somewhat of a dirge, and then it's a delight. It moves into an incredible power and a quickening from heaven. And I really believe that that's how God works. When you really begin to live on the I am level, God can work. Um, If we are just walking around like we are having no problems and and I'm, I'm not like other people who have problems, I think then God has a hard time working with us. I was thinking also... Uh, about how that there has been times when our souls felt as if it was dropping within us. If you look at the text, the, 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 the main verse, my soul melts for heaviness. The psalmist is writing that. He's talking about dropping. It's like the soul within him is dropping. It's like gravity is sucking him to the ground. He doesn't know what to do. It seems like the grave is ready for him. But... God had other plans. He probably has brought you to that place in your life. And when the scriptures say, my soul melts for heaviness, strengthen thou me according unto thy word, gives us the solution that when we get to the place where we feel like we can't go on or there's really no hope, we must go to the scriptures because the scriptures will give us the strength to move forward. I don't know what it's like to to lose a loved one, but many of you do. I don't know what it's like to have cancer in people close to me, but you know what it's like. It's hard. It's difficult. And for that person, that individual is going through that, they need us to understand a little bit more of what they're going through. And so I want to give to you a little bit of a definition of a word this morning that maybe perhaps you're going through a time of grief. Uh, maybe this has grieved you. A year ago, this Sunday... We started to change things. Um, A year ago, we started to think, what are we going to do because everybody's going to die? 
Um, so we'll just move church to home. I'll take the pulpit there, and I'll be in the basement. And you remember those a couple of Sundays? Maybe it was one Sunday, I don't know. But there was some, like, fireside chats, too. I didn't know quite what to do. I wanted to be real and honest with you, um, sitting down in my front room and, and, you know, turning the music on and trying to make it the best so that we could have kind of a virtual Service. It was kind of like a redneck trying to have a virtual service, is what it was to what it was. And uh, we did the best we could without Duck Dynasty's help. We did the best we could, and we were trying to help you. But grief has hit some people. So I want to talk to you about that this morning. What is grief? Noah writes this, Noah Webster's Dictionary, 18... Hundred says the pain of mind. The pain of mind produces loss, misfortune, injury, or evils of any kind, sorrow, regret. We experience grief when we lose a friend, when we incure loss, when we consider ourselves injured, and by sympathy we feel grief at the misfortune of others. I think it's interesting that when we're talking about grief, when we get to the place where we say that I am grieving or I am going through a time of grieving, that we can relate to others better on the other side of things. And we can comfort them. He goes on to say in the second uh, paragraph concerning grief, he wrote the pain of mind occasioned by our own misconduct. Sorrow or regret that we have done wrong. Pain accompanying repentance. I think that's very valuable to us because repentance is actually the byproduct of godly sorrow. And so when somebody is full of sorrow, they're full of worldly sorrow or they're full of godly sorrow. And I'm praying that you'd understand the difference. Because worldly sorrow actually stays on the bar stool and drinks. Godly sorrow moves from the bar stool to your knees. I had an opportunity to go to a funeral on Friday night, drove up to Hartford, Wisconsin, and drove into the parking lot, and it was completely full, and it was so wonderful to see a bunch of people that were unmasked to be able to grieve over a pastor's wife that was so godly through all of those years, but now she's with the Lord. And in there, I was able to talk to some of the people that I hadn't seen for a long period of time. People that perhaps were uh, part of my ministry years ago. And there was a fellow that I knew named Rick Greminger. He may be watching this morning because we got kind of reconnected a little bit. And some of his sons, I met Brandon again and Timothy. And I remember those, those people in church because they took up a whole pew. There was just all these kids in church and and it was a blessing because they were so faithful, and they still are. They still continue to, to go to church and to follow the Lord's ways. But I remember uh, talking to him a little bit on Friday night, and he's saying, you know, Dale passed away uh, in November. A fellow that, when I was in Horicon, Wisconsin, there, I was a mailman in Hartford and Mayville area, both of those places. I was living in Horicon. And one evening, we decided to go into a home where this fella needed us to bring him the gospel. And I was with an older pastor. His name was Jim Elkins, and he was a straight shooter. 
He was an older man, and, but he would say things the way that really needed to be said. And I was at the table with this guy that was uh, a drug dealer in Horicon, Wisconsin, longer hair, and uh, the house was kind of messy. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in this home thinking, this man needs the gospel while people were bringing in uh, things into the home. There was uh, traffic going on in there. And I thought, man, if there's somebody that really needs to get saved, it's this man, Dale. And I remember uh, Dr. Elkins said, looked up at, the, at a little small plaque he had, and there was a bottle of whiskey there on the counter. On, on, on this, like, he had like a plaque, but he had a shelving, at, and it, I don't know, it was Mogan David or something, and maybe it was, I don't know what it was, but it wasn't good. <laughs> and he said, you can go ahead and drink that if you want to, Dale, and you both can go to hell. Or you can come to Christ. And Dale pushed himself away from the table, and I thought, oh, here we're going to get it. Because he, the last time he got in trouble, he was carrying a loaded weapon, not, not just a gun, it was actually a rifle down the road. That's this kind of person that we were dealing with. And he said, I thought this day would never come. And he got to his knees, and he called upon Jesus to save him. What a blessing! I thought just the opposite, he's going to shoot us both. But the Spirit of God brought him to that place, and I don't know what was going on in his life and what prepared him for that particular time, but that preacher needed to say it like it was, that unless he gets saved, he's going to go to hell. Now, the thought about that today is kind of foreign because we're trying to be politically correct. We're trying to perform instead of worship. We're trying to fit in and everything else. We're trying to be inclusive when when that's all keeping us from telling people the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so when we're thinking about a person who is at rock bottom, a person who is grieving, it may just be what it takes to get that person to need to understand his need for Christ and to call out to Christ. He goes on to say, we feel grief when we have offended or injured a friend. And the consciousness of having offended the supreme being fills the penitent heart with the most incredible grief. And that's the spirit of God working upon us at times. So what is grief? Someone wrote this, grief is your emotional reaction to a significant loss. The words sorrow and heartache are often used to describe feelings of grief. And when you lose a loved one or an animal or a place or an object or a valued way of life even, like your job or your marriage or your health, some level of grief follows it. Another person was asked, what is grief? And they said, it is bereavement. Grieving is a personal experience that we go through. Symptoms could lead to depression, sleeplessness, or could even result in a weakened immune system if grief grabs a hold of that individual. Another person and author, Edgar Jackson, describes grief. Grief is a a young widow trying to raise her three children alone. Grief is the man so filled with shocked uncertainty and confusion that he strikes out at the nearest person to him. Grief is a mother walking daily to a nearby cemetery to stand quietly and all alone 
just for a few minutes before going on with the tasks of the day. And she knows that part of her is lying in the cemetery just as part of her is in her daily work. Grief is the silent, knife-like terror and sadness that comes to people hundreds of times when you start to speak to someone who is no longer present with us. Grief is the emptiness that comes when you eat alone after eating with another for 50, 60, or even 70 years. Grief, he goes on to say, is teaching yourself to go to bed without saying goodnight to the one who had died. Grief is the helpless wishing that things were different when you know that they will never be the same again. Grief is a whole cluster of adjustments, apprehensions, and uncertainties that strike life in its forward progress. And it makes it difficult to redirect the energy sometimes because it seems like you're on a wave that is taking you to a place you don't want to be. And that's what grief does. It zaps us of our energies. And I think the greatest of all griefs are those that are self-inflicted griefs. It happens. John Adams knew about it, and he said this concerning grief. Grief drives men into habits of serious reflections, sharpens their understanding, and softens their heart at the same time. And so grief is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be used as a good thing. I think in our scriptures this morning, we're looking at the way that David was able to write, and I'm so glad he did, concerning his grief. And many times we read in the scriptures about David and his situation, and he had a lot of would'ves and could'ves and should'ves, I suppose, in his life as he moved forward, because there was some sin in his life, and some sin that really perplexed other peoples. But David's case was one of perplexity because he was being overwhelmed with grief in the passage. His heart was melting away like a candle burning in the night with the threat of being completely overcome with darkness and the fears of the night would overtake him and he would weep. And many times David said that his tears were so much that his bed was wet. That's a lot of grief. So what do we do with it? I think David actually moved forward. He was really dissolving away in his tears. The solid strength of his constitution was turning to liquid if, as if it molted by a furnace of the heat of affliction that was caused by himself. Heaviness of heart is a killing thing, someone wrote. When it's abound, it threatens to turn life into a long time of death, which a man seems to drop away in a perpetual drip of grief. I remember talking to a woman in Hartford when I was a mailman. Her name was Myrtle. And Myrtle was somebody who was easy to talk to. And I was delivering her mail to her and... One day, it was a little difficult to open her door, and she opened it up just a little ways. I said, what's wrong, Myrtle? And she said, the ceiling fell. It's plaster ceilings. 
I noticed that a tree had fell on her gutter outside and it must have somehow hit that old house and the ceiling fell and all that stuff was in front of her door. And so I came after work and swept it all up and got rid of it. And I, with the funeral director, I was at the funeral at, at Hartford this last week. I was hoping to see the owner of it, Steve. Him and I were the one that put the new ceiling up for her. Uh, but thank you, Steve, for helping me back then to, to hang that drywall. It's kind of hard. Back then, I just used my head, you know. If you use your head hanging drywall, that's why it's kind of flat on top a little bit <laughs> after a while. But I asked her a question because she made me lunch one day. I did a little more work than just the ceiling for her, did her porch and other things and painted her trim. And she made me some lunch, and I said, Myrtle, has life been hard for you, and, or has it been easy? You know, She's 88 years old, and she said, my life has drawn out. It has just really... It's been really difficult. She told me why. Because she had a sister, twin sister. Uh, no, a sister that was younger than her that wasn't as pretty as she was. And that's how she described her. And uh, that sister took her own life in high school. And she grieved for her sister so much. And here's a creepy, friendly mailman that wants to fix up her house for her, but I wanted to listen to her problems a little bit and tell her that she could give her problems to Jesus Christ. Well, I'm a congregationalist. I go down there every Sunday I'm in church. Yeah, but have you been born again, Myrtle? What does that mean, to be born again? Maybe this jarhead, with an opportunity to give someone the mail, had an opportunity to show her how she could be saved. And how she could know for sure she's going to heaven. There's no alternative motive. It's not some kind of pyramid scam. It's the truth. What will help you and will change your soul is Christ living within. Tears come sometimes when we don't even want them to come. But they're there. When a man weeps, sometimes he wastes away his soul. If it's all about sorrow and grief without Christ. Some of us know what great heaviness means, for we have been brought under its power again and again, and often we felt ourselves to be poured out like water, like the psalmist said, and near to be being like water spilt on the ground, never again to be gathered up. And there is one good point about grief, for it is better to be melted with grief than to be hardened And stiff-arm God because of your hard heart. As the bread of life, God wants to strengthen you. In this particular passage, I thought it was interesting, this verse, my soul melts for heaviness. Then he says, strengthen thou me according to thy word. And so he's basically saying, I need some strength with all of this because I know what my condition is. I am weak when I grieve. But as the bread of life strengthens a man's heart to undergo whatever God is pleased to inflict upon you, you can be sustained with the power of the living God. And he desires to strengthen you. Strengthen me. Strengthen me to do the work and the duties that thou hast allowed me to be born to do. You see, God's got a purpose for you. You've got to come out of that grief. 
and, and find out what God wants you to do. He, he's lifting you up and strengthening you for a cause. He came alongside of you and he brought you to himself. But the purpose was that you would actually glorify him and work for him in his kingdom. Strengthen me to resist the temptations that will harm me and harm others. Unless I'm strengthened, Lord, I must be strengthened by you. The psalmist is crying out, strengthen me to bear up under the burdens and the cross that I have been called to carry. Strengthen me through my afflicted state that my spirit may not fail. Strengthen me, though I feel deserted by the everlasting love from above, I must have your strength. And this is the same thing that Samson felt because of his self-afflicted grief. He took his eyes out so he couldn't see. They made him blind, and then they made fun of him as they made him grind in the mill. He can remember the days when he was strong, you know. He can remember the days when he would take the, the jawbone of an ass and kill 20 men. It was no problem for Samson. Samson was a strong man and strengthened by God, and he knew what it was like to be strong. Then he was now weak. Without God, it seemed like. His hair was shaved, and he was there in front of all of those people. Step by step, wondering when is it going to end. And then he says in Judges 16, 28, Samson called unto the Lord and said, O Lord God, remember me. I pray thee, and strengthen me, and I pray thee only this once, O God, that I may at once avenge the Philistines of my two eyes. And boy, did God give him strength again. He grabbed a hold of those pillars, and he killed more people in that death than he did all of his life of God's enemies. And by the way, there are Philistines today. They're called the Democratic Party. Thank you. Thank you. It doesn't set well with you. It sets well with me, and it sets well with God. Because anybody who is in opposition of God needs to learn that there is a God in heaven who is about ready to change things. But he'll do it in his time. Like Hannah in 1 Samuel. When she said, the Lord kills and the Lord makes alive, and he brings down to the grave, and he brings up again. The Lord makes poor, and the Lord makes rich. He brings low, and he lifts up. He raises up the poor out of the dust. He lifts up the beggar from the dunghill. He sets them among princes and makes them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he that set the world upon them, and he will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness, for by strength shall no man prevail. And the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken into pieces, and out of heaven shall he thunder upon them, and the Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king, and exalt the horn of his anointed. And the king of kings is about ready to open up the eastern gate. And usher us into his presence because I'm still a preacher that believes that the rapture will take place prior to the tribulation. Amen. And maybe you're guessing a little bit and kind of wondering and fumbling about saying, what's going on? There's so much wickedness. You know what? This country has gone through a lot of wicked, wicked times before. 
and a lot of difficult times before, and God has prepared you during the comfort time to be strengthened and strong in him, to be able to remain steadfast during this difficult time. For God's sake, get up and come out of that grief because God wants to use you. That's a long introduction to the message. I'm looking at the clock and saying, 11 minutes, I'm going to head to lunch. But I want you to see something in verse 28. Again, my soul melts for heaviness and strengthen thou me according unto thy word. I want you to know, first of all, during your difficult times, that we have an abiding promise that will never fail us. That God said that he will be with us until the end of the world and he will never leave us or forsake us. Isn't that a beautiful promise? He made his promise. And I'm so thankful that his promises are greater than mine because sometimes I can't keep my promises. The Bible says, wait on the Lord and be of good courage. He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And so if you're looking for strength, ask him. But then wait on him. Because he really wants to know if you really mean it or not. Do you want to be quickened by the Spirit of God? Then ask him and then wait on the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 29, 11, the Lord will give strength unto his people and the Lord will bless his people with peace. Isaiah 40, verse 29, he gives power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Our help comes from above. You know what it's like not to have any physical strength because of illness, and sometimes you think, I don't even want to get out of bed because I don't feel very good. Maybe some ailment has gotten you to the place where you don't have that strength. Well, call upon God, and he will give you the strength. He will quicken you. He promises to do that. Zechariah 10, 12, I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in his name, saith the Lord. Ephesians 3, 16 that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. There is something about a person who is going through a, a difficult time that God desires to be able to quicken them inside of the inner man so that they have enough power to continue on during that time of grief. And of course, we know Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Strengthen me. That I may be able to embrace the battle and be able to overcome my trials. The Holy Spirit is our strength. It's interesting, the word comforter, as applied to the Holy Spirit, needs to be translated with a, with a, with a little bit more of a vigorous word, a more of an energetic term, if you would. Literally, it means... I will comfort you and edify you and encourage you and really strengthen you. So the Spirit of God will come alongside of us to give us the strength we need. He is really the strengthener, if you would, the comforter, the encourager, the Spirit of the living God. This promise is no lullaby for the faint-hearted. Paul Hoover said it is a blood transfusion 
for the courageous living, the Holy Spirit living within, is a blood transfusion. There can be no doubt in any man's mind or in any man's heart that God is our sustenance and our strength. And each of us must believe wholeheartedly and really fiercely in the power and in the glory of our living God. It would be more proper to say that each man must seek that companionship because God waits for you to do so. Brings me to the second thought. Verses 29 through 39, I don't have time to read all of them, but we have this authentic pathway, if you would. It's right in front of us, that God has given us the steps, and he's helped us through life, and he will continue. The Bible says in Psalm 16, 11, thou wilt show me the path of life. You will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there is pleasure evermore. Psalm 16, 11. Proverbs 4, 18, the path of the just is a, a shining light, and it shines more and more. And so the authentic pathway involves a few things, and I must tell you them. And I've got six minutes to do so, but the first thing on this authentic pathway is a personal relationship with a God who is living. Yes. What a blessing that we can have that. The God is alive. Lately, I've had a lot of calls by different men and different pastors. You know what I've been saying at the end of my conversation? Sir, God is not dead, and God is not done. So if God is not dead, and he's not done, then what is our task? To keep going. Even if our hearts are full of grief, we need to get up and take the next step. That personal relationship with God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. The Bible says in Proverbs 12, 28, in the way of righteousness is life. In the pathway of, there is no death. In the text, verse 30, we see we have chosen because we have a permanent resolution that we must make. I have chosen. No one needs to tell me. I know what I need to do. What a blessing when God helps us understand that we need him to the place where we say, I am willing, Lord, to let go of all of these things just for you. I I am willing to let go of my earthly pleasures and my earthly relationships just for you. That's a powerful thing. He's bringing that out. I have chosen. No one needs to tell me. Verse 31, I have stuck to it. No one needs to prompt me. Verse 32, I will run. No one needs to push me. I will run with delight and diligence. I will continue to keep going, and I'll lay aside the sin that so easily besets me, and I will run this race because God has given me the power from heaven to do so. The psalmist is talking about a permanent resolution and then a preserving request. In verse 33, teach me. In verse 34, give me. Verse 35, make me. Verse 36, incline mine heart. Verse 37, turn away mine eyes. Verse number 38, establish thy word and then turn my reproach. What a beautiful passage. Verse 39 is turn away my reproach. I think it's interesting as we think about these things, but I must not give you any more illustrations. I've got to go on. Verse 40, we have an animated provision. 
I asked some people this morning that are pretty smart what animated means. I'm not a very smart person. But the word animated come to my mind. I can think about verse number 40, and I must. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken thou me in thy righteousness. It helps me to understand that I have a living, powerful provision from above. It's what animated means. Lively. We have that opportunity, and God can give us that as we continue to move forward. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. Quicken me in thy righteousness. Romans 3, 25 and 26, whom hath God set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. Someone sent this morning out a little little note that said, he who is believing is going to soon be leaving. So true, isn't it? That's what we long for. One way or another, we are going to go to heaven. Nobody gets out of this place alive. We will all die sooner or later. That's kind of my message this morning. We're going to die. But the truth of the matter is that if you put your trust and your belief in Jesus Christ and him alone, don't attach Mary to it. Don't attach religion to it. Cleave onto Jesus Christ alone. He will save you. Not unto your own righteousness because of your wonderful deeds. None of us in here are good enough to get to heaven. Our righteousness doesn't exceed the Pharisees. I mean, they pretty well kept the law, but they were still doomed without Christ. That's why he came. And the older I get, the more I realize how wonderful the plan of salvation is because the salvation is all done by God through his son, Jesus Christ. And by grace, then, we can be saved. We we partakers of the divine spirit. Wow, it's all good because of what God has done for us. I'm so thankful that we're entering into this time of year because Easter Sunday is a common. I like it with that sermon that old preacher was preaching Friday. You know, the demons were and they were dancing, but Sunday's coming, you know. It looks like the wicked are in charge today, and how can they be so upset about what happened on January 6th, but let the other, con- other cities be looted and burned, and how foolish. We have foolish people in charge right now. And I'm not trying to be mean, I'm trying to tell the truth. We must, we must call upon God to put wisdom in the streets again. Wise men in charge... not men who mock God. Because when the righteous really are in charge, the people are full of joy. So we have a living, lively, animated provision that our God rose again. We understand that. I love this song. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy, and I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. 
He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. And he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blasts. And the day of his appearing will come at last. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek him, help of all who find. It is Jesus Christ this morning. And when your hearts get overwhelmed with grief and you feel like you can't take another step, God is there for you. And he will give you the power from heaven. Do you know how come I know this? Because he's done it for me. And he'll do it for you. Were you ever at rock bottom? I was. Someplace, somewhere. In Virginia, in a squad bay, with my face to the floor and weeping. And the words came, faithful, faithful, I will be for the one who died for me. Others, others is his plea. It's so simple, can't you see? In 1988, at a little small church like this one, they had an open altar. And I came that Sunday morning, and I said, Here I am, Lord, with all of my baggage. I have nothing to offer you. All I have is a voice. But here I am. And I rolled my sleeves up that day, and I've been trying the best I can to tell people about Jesus. That's what makes me smile. It's not a fake smile when I come to church. It's true. I love God's work. And I love telling people about the wonderful story that Jesus is alive. And maybe during those times of grief, God was preparing my heart, even for this message for you, that you'd understand that you don't have to turn to whiskey. You don't have to turn to the drugs of this world. You can turn to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of this earth will grow strangely to him. It's interesting that it's just so simple, but see, it's so hard, isn't it? Christianity for some is so difficult because we have such pride. We have such pride, but someday God may take it all away from you. And you'll be there with your face to the ground. And when it happens, know this one thing, that you have the God of all comforts that will comfort you strengthen you, encourage you so that you can help somebody else in the future. Point them to Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted Jesus, put your faith and your trust in him alone today. And if you have done it, but you've been struggling, dear Christian, then come. This is an old-fashioned altar. Don't be ashamed. I know it's the COVID crisis, but tears can still be absorbed in these steps. God can still work. He desires to. We're, we're stiff-arming him. Let your arm down and say, yes, Lord, yes. Have your will and have your way. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Howell, it seemed like you were speaking right to me today. I'm saved, but I haven't fully surrendered yet. It's time for me to do that. 
Maybe you just would say, Pastor, how would you pray for me? Because I needed this message. I'm saved, but I needed the message. I want to pray for you. I'll remember you. I won't point you out. Maybe this morning you just lift your hand and say, would you pray for me? I'm strong. Thank you. Anybody else? Just lift your hand so I can understand who it needs to prayer. Yes. Anyone else? Anyone else this morning? And dear friend, maybe you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus alone. And today is a day of salvation for you. Maybe you just simply say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? Because I'm not sure yet. If I died, I'd go to heaven. I'm not sure. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone like that? Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. No one's looking around. Then, Christian, this message was for you. And maybe you need to come this morning. Why don't you come? With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just stand to your feet? No one's looking around this morning. We have a spirit of, of, of an invitation, and if you need to come, you come. God is calling you. He's been working on you. Come down to an old-fashioned altar and just pray. You can come and do that today. I'm going to pray, and as soon as I'm done, the piano will begin. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would guide in the invitation in Jesus' name.